Welcome to Visiting Professors. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. For this continuing experiment in oncology education, we again asked medical oncologists and community-based practice to set up a special clinic day during which a clinical investigator will join that physician for rounds, in this case focusing on lung cancer. For this program, we asked Dr. Vince Miller from Memorial Sloan Kettering to visit Dr. Raja Mudad in Hollywood, Florida, and Dr. Ed Kim from MD Anderson to visit Dr. Jeffrey Viserka in East Setauket, New York. After these special education clinics, I met with the physicians to discuss the cases which were selected by the community-based oncologists for their teaching value. To begin, Dr. Mudad presents a young woman who presented with brain metastases. She's 45, who was doing well until December of 07, when she presented with headaches. At that time, a workup with an MRI revealed a large right cerebellar mass. She was worked up with further staging, had a CT scan of the chest and abdomen, and she was found to have a very large 7-centimeter right upper lobe mass, positive by PET extending to the pleural surface and to the hilum, so really kind of pretty much occupying most of the lobe and superiorly to the apex. There was no mediastinal involvement, no mediastinal lymphadenopathy and no disease in the adrenals. So at that time, and that was prior to her seeing me, she went for a craniotomy and resection of the brain lesion. And then this was followed by radiation therapy to the brain, whole brain radiation. The tumor was described as a papillary carcinoma with lots of features of just poorly differentiated carcinoma. Then she was started on systemic chemotherapy prior to her being evaluated at our institution and received five cycles of carboplatin and taxol. That was pre-Avastin days or around that time maybe. And then transferred her care to my institution. When I saw her, we had really kind of gotten more comfortable using Avastin, especially in somebody who has had brain lesions in the past. I was comfortable using it in somebody who's had treated brain metastases. So I offered her chemotherapy to try to get maybe a better response, hopefully by adding Avastin to her regimen, and had her be evaluated by our thoracic surgeon in the lung cancer program. And we felt that she would probably benefit from just treatment with a combined modality chemoradiation. However, she was really very determined to have surgery, so she shopped around and ended up really finding somebody who would take her straight for surgery. And she had a right upper lobe lobectomy was really a very big surgery, ended up having to have chest wall resection. Wow. But her margins were negative. And then she presented back to me for further treatment. At that time, really, we debated whether there is any need for radiation in somebody who's had a negative margin, a complete resection, although the surgeon really felt very strongly because of apparently what he saw, that he would really was pushing for her to get radiation to the chest, she ended up really starting on radiation to the chest, and my plan was to then offer her at least four cycles of chemotherapy in the adjuvant setting using drugs that she has not seen before. And after having radiation to the chest, I started her on the combination of cisplatin and navalbine. She had not seen either of those drugs. While on chemotherapy, she developed an adrenal mass that was positive mainly by PET, and really that was obviously very concerning. She, again, went for a surgical resection of the adrenal mass laparoscopically. That obviously came back, same pathology, poorly differentiated carcinoma, like the lung lesion, like the brain lesion, and had a positive margin with the resection of the adrenal. 
So she was sent back to us for radiation to the adrenal bed. And while she was on radiation for the adrenal bed in an adjuvant manner, she actually regrew tumor right within a month in the same area on radiation. So obviously this kind of gets complicated. So there's somebody who's actually growing on radiation. She's also growing on cisplatinav and She has had like eight cycles of chemotherapy pre-op and now has continued tumor growth. Again, throughout this whole process, she was still very active, excellent performance status, working. She's a cop, but she was more on administrative duty at that time and not being on the street and not really symptomatic. So at that time, really decided, you know, there is no more role for resection. This is somebody who really needs to have a change in her chemotherapy. And since she had not seen Avastin except one time, one cycle, and has not seen Alimta, I have elected to treat her with Alimta and Avastin as second line because she really grew on cisplatinaval bean. So I did not really think that she would be a first-line candidate anymore. And on Alimta and Avastin, she came back after two cycles with pain in the right lower quadrant. She was also due for a PET scan for re-evaluation after two cycles. The PET scan, interestingly enough, showed that the adrenal mass, although has not changed in size, but has now developed a major necrosis in the center. So the mass became more necrotic, but has not really changed in size. But now there was an adnexal mass on the right side, exactly where she was having pain. The PET scan suggested this could be ovarian origin, suggested or recommended an ultrasound. Ultrasound was done showed that there was something in between the ovary and the uterus that is just in the adnexa. I had referred the patient to GYN oncologist for a full pelvic exam to really assess what this mass is. And their assessment, based on reviewing the ultrasound, is that this was probably a pedunculated myoma from the uterus. It sounded kind of really too far-fetched because that really shouldn't be positive on PET. But nonetheless, they've decided to do a laparoscopic evaluation. In fact, we saw the patient today just two days after her laparoscopy. She just had it two days ago. I did not have the final report of pathology, nor did I have the report from the surgeon. But what she was told is that they went in and they found that there was something that was not coming from the uterus, most likely was metastases, and her uterus was adherent to the abdominal wall. Hmm. What's her life situation? She is married, has a 11-year-old son, and in fact, throughout my interaction with her, today was the first time I meet her husband. And I was actually surprised because she introduced him to me today. She's always there with her sister. Her sister is a very, very strong supporter. She's an advocate. She's always, you know, calling me rather than the patient calling me about any issues. And except for being really post-op and in a lot of pain today, I think that kind of affected the way she looked in terms of her performance status. Otherwise, her performance status has been very good. So now, really, I have not made any decision yet, but clearly this is somebody who has failed every line of chemotherapy we've done, be it neoadjuvant, adjuvant, radiation, first line, second line. whole lot of surgery. A lot of surgery, and she's really bounced back quickly from surgery. And I think at this point, we do have a trial that may be ideal for her. I think down the line here, next thing to think of would be something like Tarsiva. She has not seen Tarsiva. We don't have any molecular studies on her tumor, but that's certainly something we can do at this point to try to see if she would be somebody who's more likely to respond. Although the question is, would you not try anything if she was not positive for a mutation? 
And you said she might be eligible for a study? She might be eligible for a study that is looking at second-line treatment with Tarceva versus Tarceva plus insulin-like growth factor receptor inhibitor. Wow, interesting. What about that kind of strategy? I haven't heard about that. Insulin growth factor inhibitor plus erlotinib. Yeah, it's a randomized phase two trial. I think in part it's engendered by work done in Boston looking at mechanisms of acquired resistance to EGFR TKIs and showing that signaling through IGF-1R may be one mechanism of escape from EGFR inhibition. And so it's a rational trial design. Now, of course, that data is really speaks to a very specific subset of patients who are initially EGFR sensitive anyway. But this lady has a paucity of options, and it would make a good deal of sense to try something with classes of agents and targets that haven't really been addressed before. Because both of the patients we've seen, it's sort of interesting, have been chemo-resistant or chemo-refractory. Didn't see one partial response in the first two patients yet, and you know these are the most daunting situations. Any other impressions of her or her course that you want to comment on? Well, it was a little unusual in that she presented with a solitary metastasis and a clean mediastinum, and then a metachronous solitary metastasis in the adrenal, so a little bit of an unusual course. But nonetheless, these occurred in a very short period of time. So I personally, and I know Raj wasn't in control of the entire situation, would have been dissuaded from some of these surgeries, although it may have been that the patient was really pushing for them. But sometimes the surgeon just has to say, no, it's not the best thing for you. Same with the oncologist, too, I guess, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, this is the kind of patient who would really, if she wanted the surgery, she would really find somebody who would do it. So, And all of her surgeries were really done outside my institution. Interesting. 